Welcome to the Solarize podcast from creator, founder, and author Spencer Burke, where we have candid conversations with spiritual innovators, visionaries, change makers, creatives from the edge. These are the people that serve as our scouts and outlooks. The voice is calling for a more humane future, one we desire and are working toward. Both the beauty of New Horizons and the difficulties of taking risks will pepper all of our interviews. Well, welcome everyone to the Solarize podcast. I am so fortunate to have with me today Charles Lee and, of course, Spencer Burke. And today, if you don't know the name Charles Lee, Charles, you are the founder and CEO of Ideation. And I thought this was a typo when I first saw Uh it because it says that you consult and you work with Fortune 50 companies. So we're not talking, Spencer, we're not talking Fortune 500 here. We're talking cream of the crop, upper echelon. Do the math. Do you do the math, right? <laughs> so Charles, welcome to the podcast. Um, why don't you share a little bit for anybody who may not know who you are, share a little bit about who you are, what you do, and maybe some of the people that you've worked with. Well, it's an honor to be here. Uh, my name is Charles Lee, and I lead a company called Ideation. And we're all about idea execution. And the way we do that is we work with executives of some of the brands that I'm sure people Uh, would know, but also a lot of smaller organizations and companies that we love. Um, We love entrepreneurs. And so uh, we help them by uh, achieving strategic clarity. And we do that through a lot of our strategists on our team. But we feel like in order to execute well in our world today, we also need creatives. So we have creatives as well that work side by side with strategists, which is becoming more and more normalized in in kind of the strategy consulting space. Uh, But when I started this 12 years ago, uh, it was a new thing where strategy firms usually state strategy firms and creative agencies state creative agencies. And I just felt like you needed both to do it well. And so we we, uh, get to work in all different types of industries with all different types of brands. And our goal is really to help people live out the ideas and the dreams that they have, whether individually or as companies. Yeah, well, it makes a lot of sense, Spencer, that you'd have Charles as a part of Solarize, right? What were some of the things that drew you toward Charles and wanting him to be a part of what you have going on here? Yeah, well, Charles has always had this beautiful way of looking at things in a little different way. And uh, we've uh, just kind of journeyed through this idea of saying like, industries have found their way and of course from my perspective i was like why in the world are faith communities so afraid of curiosity why are they the ones who feel as if they have to have all the right answers and again you can look through and say hey well it's religion and that you know we have to have this sense and you know even in some ways empathy you know the ability to ask the questions and not fear what the answers might be. We came from a place of kind of just knowing or believing we knew. And so in that way, it's it's those kinds of things that have captured my imagination that I think are the only ways that uh, you come up with some of these organizations like okay. a Charity Water or a Tom Shoes or some of these others that, you know, years ago were breaking these grounds. And that's when we kind of first engaged. Mm-hmm. And I was asking, why could couldn't the church do this? Well, I I think that's an interesting background, Charles, as you were sharing with me that some of your earlier ambitions were to be in ministry, yet here you are well within the context of business now. Correct. So how do you see those as in some, at least in your mind or your heart, how do those coexist? 
Yeah, I, I think um, we live in a very interesting time right now where the cross-sector collaboration is something that's being embraced in order to create good in the world. And so I think from that vantage point, you know, I really thought those were two separate worlds for a very long time or uh, one of the reasons why I transitioned out of uh, some type, any type of vocational ministry pursuit was in part because I felt there were like limiting beliefs that prevented me from living out who I think I was supposed to be or called to be. And so, you know, I'm excited now because now it feels like there are these really golden opportunities, regardless of what type of entity you are, religious community, you could be a nonprofit, you could be a small business or a corporation, and somehow we could figure out a way to work together. And I think more people are doing that. So that's that's where I, I find a lot of hope and a lot of synergy now. And even like this, being, you know, um, reconnected with Spencer and thinking about like, I, I don't think I would have entertained it as much maybe like 10 years ago. But now I'm seeing like possibilities kind of percolate up. Yeah. And yeah, I could even hear it in what you just said there that we are living in a bit of a different paradigm, even when we're talking about business, when we talk about nonprofit sector, right. Spencer, when we talk about faith communities as well. I think we're we're seeing a a whole new movement that we're going to have to maybe start to get used to but what are you seeing charles as some of the the general trends that you're seeing in in the world that you're working in specifically yeah you know obviously with the global pandemic uh that we're still experiencing today there there has been a force reset of some sort of how life and work all come together and people in many ways had to merge those areas i mean if i if we you know i remember years ago talking to some business about potentially going all remote and they thought it was a crazy idea we were forced into testing it out and little did we know that the results would be so positive and many businesses are figuring out okay do people even come back or what type of office structure do we need what's the purpose of physically gathering together uh, when you could also stay have more time you know save commuting time and stay at home and be with your kids or your loved ones and and, and so i think we are in a um a time where you have that you have the technological advances uh, that are going so quickly and i know everyone says that but having been in conversations around ai to blockchain to you know uh, what the future of travel may look like and you know we could sit here probably for hours like touching upon each one <laughs> yeah, right. but all that to say is the world is significantly not has it only significantly changed in the last 18 months to a couple of years but in this, the speed in which it's changing right now, I think we'll have huge ramifications for all industries, not just faith communities. Like every vertical you mentioned is being disrupted. I can give you examples from almost any industry that you can pick to say that, hey, this is, this is changing the way they do business. This is the changing the way they do life. And so if there's ever time for, a, you know, this kind of feels like post Spanish flu right where you know and post-depression i mean mm -hmm. like there's so many similarities between this century and the previous century and i wonder like it, it's an opportunity but who's going to emerge because i really believe the be some of the best ideas around for companies or organizations are going to come out of the season and we're seeing signs of that already yeah spencer how do you think that fits in when we're talking about spiritual innovators my experience with 
spiritual people is that they don't like change a lot. I don't know if you've experienced the same thing, but that's not <laughs> that's not who Spencer Burke is. So when you think about this idea and when we when you hear Charles talk the way that he does, what does this make your mind think of in regards to spiritual communities or communities of faith? Yeah, I the thing that I'm finding is that no matter who the person is, whether they're doing kind of a small faith community or they're a publisher or a seminary president, everybody right now is kind of scared. There's this sense of what is going to happen. But in those moments, that's where the places uh, of opportunity come. Those are the places where everybody kind of knows, okay, we're in trouble. And there's an openness, there's a a humility that happens. Again, there's a hospitality that happens within that. And those are deep, beautiful spiritual uh, expressions. And we're also finding, in my opinion, within the faith area, is that it's not just people in their silos in the faith communities. I mean, my conversations are happening within the mosque, within the temple, within the church, you know, and and outside of the church in places that we've normally thought, oh, well, that's not faith because it's not inside the building. We're actually willing to go outside the building and go, wow, look at these deep, beautiful works of faith. And maybe that's where we'll actually find the new models and new ideas. So I think right now, as I'm looking at it, there just feels like a ripe, you know, such a time as this. There's a, there really is this feeling like we need to find something. We, there's an openness. And then I also think there's a great synergy. I, I've been surprised around the conference. We've been utilizing the term, you know, humane spirituality. It's not a negative. It's not an anti, but it's big enough to kind of rally around too. To activate the imagination for possibilities, that's pretty powerful. That's pretty exciting. Charles, just to take any ambiguity away for our listeners, can you give an example of maybe a company that you've worked with and some of the work that you've done to help them out? Yeah, so we we do um, work a lot in the impact space. Uh, One might be as for a while, we had the great fortune of working with uh, the Caterpillar Foundation, which is a corporate foundation. That particular foundation at the time was focused on funding organizations that work with uh, women and girls. So they would fund uh, organizations that were very strategic, but they took it to a different level, and that was they made sure that these organizations uh, knew about each other and how they could collaborate. So, for example, if they're working in, say, Uganda, uh, they knew that all of them could bring certain relationships to the table that others could not, whether it was relationships with public officials, relationship with private private sector companies uh, in-country, and they had a beautiful way of like shifting their understanding around how we're going to make impact as a business because you know the corporate foundation is an extension of the business and then as they experienced success in funding these organizations allowing them to be in the room where i had the great fortune of facilitating conversations with these world recognized nonprofits in the room and having one of their um, one of the brands that I think, if I were to mention the name, all of you would know, uh, this nonprofit organization, they came to the realization. They said, "You know what? We kept our organization in the center of the conversation when it should have been the issue all along." And to have a you know C level person of a major nonprofit kind of confess that to everybody else in the room, because everybody else was probably thinking the same thing. 
And so for us to kind of help them um, navigate that and work with our partner agencies to do that, all the way to trying to help to build some clarity around a case that it's not corporate social responsibility only, but it's actually corporate social innovation, that if you do good, like if you bring clean water and hygiene and uh, if you bring um, uh, medical help, AIDS prevention, all of these kinds of things in, say, a country like Uganda, for example, is that it will lead to infrastructure needs. You know, suddenly girls are going to school and they're given opportunities. And, and so it will lead ultimately to business on, on their end. And for a company like that to come back and that year alone, they they invested tens of millions of dollars more. I think it was like $50 million into funding these organizations that are working on the ground. So you kind of see like as big of a corporation that they are, they took time to listen and think about what the aspect of impact could do. Of course, you know, to the impact of the direct beneficiaries of that impact, but also to their business too, and start to think in terms of, and that's what I think we're seeing in the corporate sector right now that's encouraging. I know there's justification for a lot of criticism for a lot of companies, but never forget that these companies are run by human beings and many of them are really good human beings. And I, I feel like that's something that we lose in the generalization and the depiction of evil. Are there evil things going on? Absolutely, right? And we've seen some. Uh, but they're also incredible, clear advocates that want to bring impact into the center of the business, not just the philanthropic extension of the business. When they already made their profit, then to give some of it away, the model is becoming more, I think it'll become more and more normalized because of the level of social accountability that's demanded by the public, is that maybe impact will become more of a central lens through which they do their business. Of course, they have to meet bottom line. They have to meet shareholder demands. So it's complicated. But the good thing is I think there's a lot of people in these brands that we all recognize to say, you know what, we need to shift and change somehow. And so that's that gives me glimmers of hope. The Solarize podcast is brought to you today by our partners at the Igniting Imagination podcast. Igniting Imagination is a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. They believe every moment for change starts with conversation. They hope the conversations in these episodes might invite you into new perspectives and possibilities, inspire you with an idea, give you insight about your next faithful step, and further equip you to engage in the conversations in your context that can lead to deep change. This season, they are sharing conversations about the five adaptive muscles the church must strengthen to be fit, agile, and ready for God's now. For more information, visit their website at www.wesleyaninvestive.org forward slash igniting dash imagination dash podcast. Somebody asked a question at the live Solarize event. It was a question that came in online of the difference between an entrepreneur and an intrapreneur. And I think that even yeah. could come in this conversation, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like, you know, not everyone should be an entrepreneur. Uh, it's not an easy road. 
all of your the data is stacked against you or all the cars are stacked against <laughs> you so uh, you know it's not it may be glamorous at some level to say i'm doing my own thing and that may be very fulfilling at times and it is it's truly fulfilling but i also know there's plenty of work to do in existing organizations and you're not less than an entrepreneur you know both entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs are trying to solve problems and make the world better hopefully and most people so yeah i think there's definitely space and being an entrepreneur is very different from being an entrepreneur there's some overlapping like if it was a venn diagram there'd be shared type of skill set but entrepreneurs need to know things that entrepreneurs you know may never face here's a fun play on it if an entrepreneur is someone who starts from you know nothing in a sense an entrepreneur is inside an organization trying to find it you know how to iterate it right well think of it in the religious sense here's the crazy part the only people who can be entrepreneurs at first are kind of heretics Mm -hmm. in faith communities because they're questioning but it's their love of church synagogue mosque it is their uh desire for me it'd be i I read the bible i get in trouble here's the charter of our company and we're missing it you know so that idea of really people inside the organization because a lot of times when i'm doing uh, other work like with lean faith and other places people are going like you're not a business person coming in and telling us how to do it you're inside the organization inviting us to learn what you've learned about business bringing it here so I invite entrepreneurs within the organization. They have a sense of clout. They have a sense of credibility. They have a sense of relationship and community. And if you do it with humility and hospitality, you really can actually say there is another way. There is a possibility. Um, now, realize that for heretics, you know, again, it's heresy. You know, So all orthodoxy starts with heresy. Is that mm-hmm. kind of crazy? So all of our ideas that will change the church will seem heretical at first. Now, for the others, not all heresy becomes orthodoxy. Right. So realize that 50% or is it 9 out of 10 projects that we try will not work. So, and, you know, we talk about this. What, what, if, what if it fails in the church? Why are we not comfortable with failure? Yeah, I think that's an interesting challenge for an institution that is often built upon the maybe it's a pressure maybe it's an expectation to be right and i think that's hard and once you start uh using any type of god language and i always say like you could sprinkle god language into anything it becomes a you know you set your own expectations up and if you're a leader of a you know a church or a synagogue or uh, a mosque like and you feel that you create you almost like feed into that narrative like i need to be right so if i have a new idea for the way we're going to do something in serving our community it better work so i especially when you start to claim that somehow some traditions will say i heard that from god mm-hmm. and then one nobody else can question like what am i going to say if you tell me that right <laughs> uh so I, I think that's an interesting place and then um you know some traditions are so rooted in like the founding you know if it's the church maybe going back to the first century so anything that seems out of that you know and we could get into hermeneutics obviously and interpreting and so when you get into things like that it's no wonder it gets very muddy very quick and the resistance starts to build up before you know it 
And I think that is what you just said there about the resistance may be the key point because people in faith settings a lot of times are hanging on for reasons mm-hmm. you already described. They're hanging on to a tradition, a way things have always been. And that's probably why the church, Christians in general, tend to be so slow to get to places where sometimes our culture is so quick to get to. Mm-hmm. So when I hear some of the innovative work that you're doing, yeah. Charles, feels light years ahead of anything I'm hearing about in church circles or in a lot of faith circles in general, which is why Solarize is so important, Spencer. You were talking about like how corporations would have this sense of doing something and actually consumers would go, wow, I love that. You know what I mean? And of course, we're very suspicious of that. Are they doing it for this or that? Of course. Well, even within the church, if you think about it, what if the church had that creative imagination and said, what we're doing now is not working? If we listen to those all around us and tried it, would traditional language like, would that be evangelistic? You know, mm. w- would that actually create disciples to follow in these ways? So it's it's almost maybe our own uh, skepticism is like, well, wait a minute, we don't want to do that because we're going to you know try to get more people. I actually think you know lose that conversation. Sometimes what's really good for the people is good for what you're doing too. So don't stop yourself from being really creative in the programming that you do, because I think that's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to say, what is for this time? What is now? And I wonder how that would work. Yeah, and I'm betting, Charles, that you're seeing resistance within the for-profit world, even in corporations, right? Because it's not only church people that get stuck in the way things always have been. I'm guessing you experience that and even some of these big companies that you work with. Yeah, but I think the difference is in sometimes in the marketplace or in the uh, corporate world is that once an idea picks up public adoption, you almost are forced to figure it out, do it. There's a consequence. For example, uh, we work a lot in the legal space, and nowadays, because of the uh, legal profession's commitment to DEI or diversity, equity, inclusion, when, say, a company like Microsoft hires a law firm for some of its litigation or some of its other legal work, one of the requirements is how diverse the law firm is. So it's, it's very black and white in many ways, or some companies, I know some automotive brands that we work with, they have sent legal teams back because the team that they sent was not diverse enough. In some ways, they're ahead of the game in the sense like, hey, if you want like diversity, equity, inclusion, it has to be a systemic change in the way you do business. And so in many ways, you know, they're kind of forced in ways. And so there could be pros and cons, right? I'm not saying it's, it happens in a vacuum, but at least that industry and many other industries like it are saying, look, we think we need to change and it's going to be hard. Now we're going to track data, like how many female partners are there at a firm? What's the trend? What's the industry standard? Where do we rank relative to our competitors? Because your potential clients are asking for that information and hiring based on that. So talk about that type level of accountability and transparency. So, yeah, it's resistance, but they're kind of forced to change probably more than a local institution or faith community that has maybe one or a handful of primary leaders that get to dictate whether or not they're held accountable. But... The question I have is, 
are we watching simply a super, super slow motion death of the church because mm-hmm. no one's holding them accountable? What if we were able to measure different things in the church? Like in that way, they're looking. Yeah. I'll tell you, you ask a church, what's your main mission? What are you measuring? What? It's survival, maybe. It's like uh, people in the pews. Well, people aren't coming back, you know, even with the pandemic. You know, there's so many different things. So it's almost at this moment in time, again, to inspire that change. Regulation, maybe in business, you have to do that. But how about in a faith where you're trying to inspire that opportunity uh, where people can say, the things that we're measuring, we're off. We've got to go back and ask, what is it that really we desire to see happen? And I think that's that's a crossroads we're at right now. If we just listen to people, if we just stop for a moment and ask, I think yeah. the measurements are out there. I think they're obvious to everyone else, but maybe us. Charles, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Where can people hear more about you? Uh, Yeah, they could just Google Charles Lee or Ideation, and they should be able to find me somewhere. All right, wonderful. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Spencer, of course, great to be with you again. Charles, thanks for being here today. And until next time. Make sure you support the Solarize podcast by subscribing to it, giving it a five-star rating, and write a review.